0: Hi, this is Michelle Sherman, President of Mishorex Pharmacist Consulting Services and the host of the Conscious Pharmacist podcast. As far back as I can remember growing up in South Africa, one thing was always obvious to me. It was something that emanated from my soul, if you will. It was the knowing that all human beings are created equal, that we are all the same. The Conscious Pharmacist Podcast is proud to be a podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network and is a show for pharmacist healthcare providers who have answered the call to practicing on purpose. Being conscious brings to light disparities and injustices in our society and healthcare system. Our show, strives to bring to the forefront these issues we face today in a changing healthcare landscape and how we can change lives one patient at a time. As pharmacists, we do what matters, how we practice what matters, and how we take care of patients matters. Be conscious, speak out, every voice matters. Be the change you wish to see in the world. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: Some time ago, I had the honor of interviewing Ernst Young's Dr. Aluko, who is just a visionary of better global health and some of the issues that we experience on a global scale. One of those is health equity and how uh, racism and uh, pharmacy deserts and healthcare deserts and our payment models need to shift in order to give more care and more specific services to places throughout our world that is in desperate need. Here in the United States, we are experiencing that throughout the the nation, which is surprising when we have so many resources. Uh, Dr. Yili Aluko is Chief Medical Officer of Ernst & Young's Americas, and today, the Ernst & Young team returns to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We're so excited to welcome Pamela Spence. She's Ernst & Young Global Health Science and Wellness Industry Leader. Welcome, Pamela.
2: Well, thank you very much uh, for having me. Uh, excited to be here and, uh, you know, really uh, an avid listener of some of your podcasts. So thank you very much. Delighted.
1: That's wonderful to hear. We have a captive audience that is really... Used the um, publication to listen to over 30 different hosts that have really kind of dug into really meaningful themes. Uh, Much of that sometimes comes back to the individual who might be talking about science or artificial intelligence, drug development, pharmacogenomics, which is fascinating. Today, we're talking about the five trends redefining the health sciences and wellness operating model. And the study that you designed and wrote, which is this title, which we're going to have in the show notes. So anybody listening, you'll have access to the Ernst and Young publication in your show notes. And Pamela, you did a, a very good job in your brief, pushing out the ideas that you have, placing the the patient at the center of healthcare. The demand for the patient consumer has accelerated, and the acceptance and adoption of new technologies and the data that fuels them. And this is an interesting subject for me. That's how I started in the pharmacy industry way back in 2004, focused on institutional pharmacy management systems that was designed specifically to care for seniors, for people in institutional um, settings and how the needs to customize services were so important. And when I read through your paper, I was really interested in, in really exploring your ideas of how digital technologies, digital health, digital therapeutics, platforms in gamification, how we utilize this, place this in the hands of our providers, our physicians, our nurses, our pharmacists, to accelerate care and meet people where they are instead of the opposite and expecting the old model of medicine, which is expecting to, the patient to to come to you know the the source. But I think we're returning to multiple aspects of healthcare customization, but I wanted you to give an overview to our listeners of your insights and a little bit about yourself as well.
2: Sure. Well, no, thank you. And I, and I think we all work in healthcare because we care passionately about people uh, and people's well-being. And, and I'm, you know, I've spent 30, 30 or so years now working in the technology and also healthcare Industry, but but health. Working in healthcare really gives me the purpose, and and the technology and, and innovations that we are seeing, particularly around sensors and AI and machine learning. I think all really can sort of drive to uh, the industry being able to offer better better care for. Uh, uh, the, the people, the citizens of, of different geographies. But I think, um, you know, our Five Trends Report, I, I, I'm a big believer in um, trying to be practical uh, and really, but, but thinking about how um, companies can obviously do what they need to do today, but really start thinking strategically about making sure that they have a winning proposition in, in the future. Um, and so we, we started the sort of Five Trends Report really just examining um, what actually matters today, and, and we know that healthcare is becoming, uh, you know, taking even a, a larger and larger share of any GDP, no matter whether it's developing or, or emerging uh, markets. We know technology innovation is is very exciting. We know that um, patients, customers are becoming more and more demanding uh, as they're becoming more informed. I'd like to say well informed, but obviously there is information out there that that uh, does distract uh, a little. Um, But I I also think um, that efficiency in care is now um, being pushed over into the life sciences companies as well as the payers and providers. I think previously, life sciences companies have rightly been very focused on quality and efficacy of the products the medicines that the amazing medicines that that they innovate and produce, but I think even them now are, are really beginning to think about productivity assessments. So I mean we all know that's happening, but what does that actually mean practically? Um, and we have a vision for a, a smart health system of the future. We've released a video um and and that uh, we'll we'll obviously share with you and, and your team that you can profile that. But pairing that back against that that sort of backdrop, what is it that's really going to make a difference? What are the winning characteristics? What do we actually see happening in other industries? Um, you know, be it you know the the uh, you know the the Amazons, the Netflix, the Ubers, and 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 if you look at the other industries and those characteristics, it's if you pair back what is success in their business model, it really all boils down to is it convenient is it seamless is it personalized and predictive is there a lot of choice and how transparent is it and if you take those characteristics and think golly you know what does that actually look like in in healthcare and and what would it take to drive a really great health experience you know unlocking the power of data like these other industries have really done to really drive a health experience um, driving better positive health outcomes with high degrees of personalization. And what is it that we believe practically are the elements to driving that better health outcome? So that's where we that was, that's sort of the backdrop to where we got to with um, you know the five trends and, and things that companies um, we would encourage really focus on as they look to transform their business models. Their operating models for the future. And, and those five trends being, you know, firstly, you know, humans at the center, and really think about what is it that the customer, the patient actually really wants. I think the industry has been set up for years and years that the physician is the customer. Um, largely driven by the, uh, you know, obviously the recommendations to prescribe and the care and the treatment plan. But ultimately, the customer who often doesn't pay for it directly is the patient. And I use the words consumer patient interchangeably. Um, uh, and so I think, you know, really putting humans at, at the center of your strategy and what are you doing today? Is that going to drive a better outcome for the patient themselves as directly as you can? Um, the second trend that we uh, we really looked at is supply chain. And we can see that the fantastic innovations that are happening now in in cell and gene therapy and, and CAR-T. And, and we're, we're doing a lot of work at uh, EY in terms of making the delivery of some of these CAR-T complicated treatments a reality from a logistics perspective, uh, supply chain perspective. But but we see that the the complexity around the supply chain bringing such personalized therapies to market because it's vein to vein or data to vein, which which requires a reversed and engineered supply chain. Um, to go back from the patient into the laboratory and then the, pa- the laboratory back to the patient with this augmented um, T-cells in, in the treatment. Um, but we've also, as well as that sort of depth of personalised medicine, you've also got how can physicians and, um, you know, I would argue as uh, as time moves on, um, the, the importance of the pharmacy becoming much more into the fore in primary care, how can we actually use data and technology to better prescribe and better measure uh, with uh with uh you know sensors and whatever, the that that degree of the personalization on the supply chain, uh, on, the, on the effects, sorry, of, of the medicine. So I think the the whole element of is the supply chain that you're we're fitting into, um, going to be match fit for that high degree, the agile nature of uh, prescribing and also uh, delivering of these new cell and gene therapies. I think um, the third trend that we were really looking at is outcomes-based reimbursement or value-based care. And I think that will require a, a real acceleration of more innovative contracts, especially around some of the curative therapies that that we're seeing on the market and how do you price to that if you're actually going to cure somebody of a disease do you avoid you know um operating room costs and and therefore what should be the price point i think that's a very interesting debate and discussion um you know the data needs to flow around the whole network much more um easily and and ultimately actually to create real value You, you quite often don't just want access to your own organizational data and be able to interrogate that in a much more structured way, but actually access to others' data in the supply chain. And I'm not, not suggesting for an instance there's one big massive data lake that everyone can access. I, I think that uh, you know we, we used to talk a few years ago about data lakes, but, but actually owning data is just a cost. Access to specific data, if you are really clear on what do you want to do with it? I, I say to many companies, you know, analysis for analysis' sake. What data do you want? Oh, we need to do some analysis, but what analysis do do you want to do, and why? And why do you need to do that? Um, and so that that access to data that you don't own, I think, is going to become really critical. And then lastly, um, sustainability. I mean, we had the G seven actually not too far from where I was a, a few weeks ago. Um, in, in England, we have the G7 and, and you know, there's a big worry around um, how sustainable are our practices, not, not really just for the good of the planet, but the, the reality that, you know, as advancements progress, we need to really act more sustainably um and so those were the um the trends that we are saying practically against that strategic backdrop we encourage people to think about their operating models in those specific uh areas and and against as you can see in the report each of those areas we uh, we suggest um coming back to the data point you know what data is going to be most important for the different business models that that um, one might like to uh, operate be it um, an organization that focuses on services and and i would categorize those as disease manager services when um, a consumer patient is sick do you want to actually operate in the pre-disease area i would call that a lifestyle manager do you want to really focus on in innovating and delivery of products i'd call that a breakthrough innovator and, and do you want to be more of an efficient producer and actually um you know, offer well tried and tested medicines but a much reduced cost which means reinventing the the um the uh the whole production process so depending on where you want to play it has a different um uh axes on wh- uh, what particular attribute within that five trends framework you might want to focus on and i appreciate i'm talking about four different business models uh, and five trends but but uh, if you look at the report we, we get quite specific on um the interplay of, of of marrying up what data you want to help progress um or measure your your progression against your business strategy
1: there is a trend, Pamela, happening in the pharmacy profession in the United States where there are 300,000, right over 300,000 active pharmacists. And I'm paying attention to what is trending. And over the last three years, it's accelerated to have the consultant pharmacist, uh, which was traditionally in charge of managing senior care medications by going into a nursing home, making the assessments, bringing that um, data back to a physician to make any changes to the medications, de-prescribing of medications, uh, of of the cascade prescribing phenomena that many of our seniors go through. And what I'm seeing, and I believe 10% of that 300,000 will be in pure and permanent consultative roles that will then consult with primary care, with pediatrics, with specialty disease states. And when I look at your report, if you're listening right now and you're interested in your own business, you're interested in becoming a, a consultative entrepreneur in pharmacy, you have to find this report, go into our show notes and read through this. And I want to come back to the four types of business models that have been defined in this report. Uh, Number one is that breakthrough innovator. Number two is the disease manager. Number three, the efficient producer. And number four, the lifestyle manager. And Pamela, the reason why I wanna come back to these is because that consultative pharmacist, that consultant pharmacist that's out there could definitely fit into one of these four uh, business models and then drive that value. Um, And by the way, the more specific that you get the more opportunity you have to stand out from the crowd. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've worked big chain retail for years, and we've heard a lot of this, Pamela, where we, we, we hear about burnout of pharmacists that are working in the retail sector. If you have accumulated that two years, five years, 10 years of experience serving your public, there's a tremendous amount of data, there's a tremendous amount of understanding, and there's a trend, tremendous amount of empathy that you have for the public that you don't want to just push aside in in your experiences you could transfer that to um that consultative role and decide am i a breakthrough innovator am i someone who will capture value in best class products and demand that high net worth for an individual healthcare individual healthcare systems digging into very specific disease states am i a disease manager am i someone who's creating value by having a deeper understanding and and a relationship that I've built with my patients and consumers. And I'm focusing on specific, like maybe the behavioral health sciences, mental health as an expert or efficient producer, as you've mentioned, those who deliver that efficient operations understanding someone who helps to streamline long-term care pharmacy operations or someone who streamlines health system pharmacy this is this is worth so much to those organizations that they would have and bring in an expert who understands it because they were saturated and soaked in it for years and can bring back those experiences through data and reporting to deliver something that can impact the population health of, of that health system. And then number four, like you brought up, I think of several organizations, Pamela. There's a company called Capsule RX, Sonia Patel. There's other hims and hers, which are lifestyle um, specific medication experts that drive down into erectile dysfunction, for example, or uh, women health services specifically um, in in uh, reproductive issues and reproductive uh, consultations. Where now we're getting very, very specific and we're saying we're going to supply wellness solutions as experts of pharmacists of medication management to help lower the expense based on the ongoing management for this mass market in using um, my community as power instead of going you know, nationally. Now I'm a, I'm a community uh, consultant pharmacist and I'm keeping the aim around a specific disease state by capturing the value that I bring to my community because now I'm trusted and I'm known within my community. I think there's a tremendous amount of power in that for the individual pharmacist and to feel that they can literally make a difference if they don't want to stay within, you know, the, the chain pharmacist environment, for example, and that's what I'm going to take this report, Pamela, and I'm going to kind of try to help coach those consultant pharmacists. I actually have a list of these consultant pharmacists and those are the first individuals who are going to get access to this podcast.
2: I I think you're absolutely right there. I, I think that the, the, what the, the uh, our, our ph- pharmacist actually can bring is a real understanding of the consumer patient, because they see them day in, day out, probably more frequently than the physicians. And I think that's what, um, you know, we, we talk about humans at the center, and that's really at the heart of that is, you know, people are people, they're not machines. They they respond in rational, but also irrational ways. And, and, and actually having that, empathetic understanding and, and that history. I think that that the, the pharmacy frontline, you know, blended with technology and a bit of data can add, add a huge amount. And, and I would argue that as the, the whole primary care and, and secondary care models sort of shift, I, I see, um, you know, there's there's a, a booming, a booming, booming need for, um, for an opportunity for uh, the pharmacists, definitely. Interestingly, my father always wanted me to be a pharmacist, and I I, I chose uh, biochemistry, not pharmacy, at university, and then went into R and D. But it's funny how life is sort of—you're never too far away from what your parents always thought was best for you. And you don't want to admit it until you're, you know, probably as old as I am now.
1: Yes, and it's interesting how you said uh, a pharmacist uh, probably sees their patients more often than the primary care. And that's true. the The metrics we have out of the out of the United States is ten to one. So every time a primary care um, physician sees their their patient, they're seeing their pharmacist ten times. So with that comes a a, a huge opportunity to take those metrics and those connection points and pull your pharmacists, pull your patients out of the machine that some of our pharmacy models have created uh, that have. Uh, depersonalized uh, medicine, which I don't like seeing, but it's almost like uh, capital America, uh, capitalism in America, capitalism in the world wants to volume and I you know put a volume into um, into medicine and I, I believe and am seeing through trends, it's going the absolute opposite direction. It's now becoming personalized medicine. I know in my lifetime, Uh, Pamela, that I will see a time where they will take a base compound medication that is mass produced and they'll leave an opportunity through some type of 3D printer to take a pharmacogenomics test of you and saying, hey, your doctor has put you on the ABC medication for maybe it's a psychotropic drug, maybe it's a cardiovascular med. And they will make you take that test, have you take that test to ensure that you're going to metabolize that med. And then they'll write on premise, alter the very last component to ensure that you're going to absorb that medication as intended and as designed. And I, I guarantee that's probably going to happen in our lifetime.
2: Oh, no, no, no question. No question. I think that that um, miniature modification, because, you know, all our bodies are different, um, and you know, I, I you know, I, I don't want to cite the statistic, but it's well known in some circles that you know not all medicines work, right? And we can see that the patient. Um, um, but actually, having that direct feedback loop on is this working for me? Um, you know, the, the actual scientific data is it not? Um, but also, I think an, another thing that we're working on in, in terms of the the outcomes. Um, an innovation contract. Sometimes, if the patient feels better, uh, it doesn't matter what the data says and the doctor says. If I'm actually feeling better and leading a more active life, that that should count for a lot too. And again, that empathetic view, that that and the skills that that you know experienced pharmacists have developed over over the years, I think that 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 is. The psychological well-being, you know, we we don't understand enough about it. So I, you know, I, I guess I'm just reinforcing what you're saying There's a huge opportunity. Um, one thing though, I would add in the the business models, and you sort of describe them them while well, the disease manager, the lifestyle manager, the efficient producer, and the breakthrough innovator. I think um, depending on which route um, folk want to go, I think there's a real delineation about how value is created. Um, you know, what effectively is your USP, your unique selling model, or and, and who actually are you targeting? Because it's not a one size fits all. You know, if you're a disease manager, then, you know, you're probably operating a bespoke service and you really need to understand the customer and the relationships and the service model around the product versus a, a breakthrough innovator. And then you're much more um, actively looking at the scientific product efficacy, so I, I'd encourage your um, your community to really look at the graph that we have in the report that really illustrates how value is created. You know, what is your offer, and who is going to appreciate and demand that value? I.e., your customer.
1: So you mentioned in your report, RX, who has been a, a shining star. Uh, digital therapeutic um, provider and developer um, in in my world, I I was personal friends with Harry Travis, who was the initial CEO of that organization, who then it was adopted as he moved on to a different position by Valerie Sullivan, who's now their acting CEO. And being able to ingest a medication in a, a digital capsule that responds to your stomach acid activates a power ability through that and then feed data to an iPhone. That's, um you know that's being held by the the intake by the patient themselves to have uh, data and, and where that could go to uh, ex- expedite uh, the specific data that the that the physician that the pharmacist wants to act on, and then pairing that with um, uh, quote unquote paratherapeutics and what you mentioned. Can you? Talk about your interest in those two organizations and how that ties back to personalization.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't tend to comment on any detail in specific companies, um, you know, given our regulated industry. But but what I would say is I think there's a huge opportunity. Um, it's very fragmented um, to actually get digital therapeutics right. I mean, another example I've um I've uh, had witnessed to is actually medication being turned on and off mm-hmm. with sensors inside a patient, um, but the on and off can be turned on with specific UV light. Um, and, you know, and, and all of these technologies need to be developed. But I think there's there's a huge, huge opportunity for for digital therapeutics. But but what i think we definitely do need with those digital therapeutics is that feedback loop on the on the the, the, the sensor uh, and i think that the the opportunity that 5g gives us now 5g is coming on on stream um particularly in europe i know that mobile telephony often gets europe first and and the us uh slightly behind but But 5G and that opportunity to transmit high volumes of complex data at speed wirelessly, I think that's huge. I think that will break down a lot of the barriers that that some of the sensor technologies and and other digital therapeutics have have actually had in the past. Because I I think that the AI and the machine learning algorithms are are very good. But it's like the data transmission, which has always been a bit clunky, So I I think that will unleash a whole world of opportunity or uh, I'm optimistic that it will anyway.
1: Yes, me as well. I like the fact that there's also a responsibility as a healthcare provider to not lag behind in the technologies that are out there and assuring that our uh, healthcare system aligns the best provider to pull that data and utilize that data to then be a team member of uh, multiple providers, especially for our rare disease states um, that people are suffering with. And an example of this is the extraction of data, who should get the data in order to make a, uh, an adjustment in treatment or an assessment of treatment and how the pharmacist is tied in. And, and, and in my opinion, how they're underutilized with regards to treatment protocols that are ongoing for serious disease states to be able to track out um, the the outcomes in stages, so that medications might be adjusted along that treatment. Especially when I'm thinking of cancers, and and uh, empowering the pharmacist to make recommendations um, on the fly, so that the physician isn't always the choke point in services, in the in the choke point that that we see now in, in the United States, for example, you know we don't have enough uh, primary care and physicians. They say by 2030, there's gonna be a huge deficit of our, of our primary care physicians. Well, as we see in the United States, once again, that 300,000 plus active pharmacists are waiting to be thrown into the game of, of, of personalized care at a much greater level than they are today. The the consultant pharmacist Pamela, they're not waiting. They're out there doing without. They're doing it through collaborative care agreements. They're doing it through incident two billing. And we know that provider status is also uh, coming to the United States, which has always been a a, a head scratcher for me that that our our U.S. based healthcare system uh, CMS doesn't doesn't view a pharmacist as an actual provider. And and we've we've done things incorrectly paying a pharmacist based on the script but instead of based on the patient and based on the outcomes and based on yeah. the ongoing services that could be given to that, pharma, that, that patient to to navigate what they're going through. What are your insights on the leverage, the specific leverage of someone who has, you know, six, eight and 12 years of education in medication management?
2: Yeah, and I think that's an interesting one because you know I think that the industry can and, and the regulator can can create um, the opportunity for change, but it's going to be the patients and the consumers on on mass which will drive the adoption of the change. I, I I often say that. So I I think that the collaborative care agreements that you you referenced, I think that's sort of step one, but I think that employing technology and you know, actually creating virtual interfaces to stimulate that demand, and until we get to a tipping point, I think that's that 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 is likely. Well, history will tell us that's how change happens. So I, I think that um, it, it's just very important, as you as you reference. Dr.
1: Becky Winslow is one of our podcast hosts. She is uh, leading the PGX for Pharmacists podcast, which focuses on how Uh, PGX uh, pharmacogenomics is being used, and I'm going to quote her. She said in a recent post, in pharmacy, we often talk about misaligned incentives within pharmaceutical channels that artificially inflate drug prices, but we rarely focus on the conversations on the misalignment between a payer paying for a specific medication for a patient in their condition, but the same payer not paying for a diagnostic test to determine if that medication will be therapeutic or non toxic for the patient before the patient consumes the medication. And, you know, bravo to you, uh, Dr. Winslow, for, for citing that. But that's absolutely tied back to this report. And why are we spending money on expensive medications that, that we have the data, we have the ability, we have the technology that could tell us right now today? if in fact that medication is going to work as intended. So yeah. I want to shout out to the pharma industry in saying, when you start building your formularies and your reimbursement models, we must have the ability to make sure that we can pre-assess if in fact that medication is going to work or not.
2: Yeah, and and I do see, um, I, I you know, I've been a Big supporter of outcomes-based reimbursement for years, and I and I I see that um, with the advancement in some of the therapies, uh, and we've got some pilots going at the moment with major pharma um, to look at how they can actually get reimbursed for outcomes. I think it'll be you know it's not going to be adopted on mass for everything at the flick of a switch, but I think it's going to be. Yeah, it's a bit like those exponential adoption curves, but I think, you know, pick some winners at, at the moment because it, for me, um, you know, and I referenced, you know, I started life in the laboratory and, and as a research chemist and, and you know, we're only, somebody somewhere has got to pay for innovation and um, and the whole system is struggling. Like I, I mentioned, it, it's, you know, the, the, the uh, healthcare taking a larger share of GDP, so how can we get a fairer more equitable reimbursement model that will actually drive productivity and efficacy and 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 that you know only the drugs or the medicines and the care the therapies that work will actually be innovated uh, and it's a sort of a, a backwards sort of down the value chain cycle but unless we have a, an outcomes-based reimbursement system without, with all the pricing pressures that we can see around the world, I would worry that innovation would be stopped, which would be a travesty for, for the industry. So that's the driver about why we made a strategic investment to really focus on um, some software products that really drive uh. Uh, innovative and outcome-based contracting, admittedly trial uh, being trialed at the moment in Europe, but I just see the, the the innovation drying up if if the industry doesn't shift to that sort of reimbursement, and it's got to be holistic.
1: Yes, absolutely. What is your advice for our pharmacists listening right now who are interested in transforming their specific businesses? And I think of our specialty pharmacy owners, I think of our privately owned pharmacists that are now making these micro chains that are that are developing 10, 20 locations to really serve their communities with a lot of the uh, technologies that they want to adopt and they don't want to be held back by. These gigantic corporate infrastructure, um, you know, (laughs) behemoths that are out there kind of controlling 78% of the entire um, uh, reimbursement and drug uh, spend in in the United States. But what, based on the data, based on this report, what's your um, call out right now to our consultant pharmacists?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, you know be really clear on uh, what you want to be famous for. I mean, it's easy to say but difficult to do because everything everybody wants to do everything, Uh, and you know that you might have to stop doing and and be really clear on stop stop doing certain things to be able to give yourself capacity to do to do more. But but I would really think about the um, think about the I'm passionate about the business models of the future. Obviously, read our report, but but think about how then you know the the humans at the center, the supply chain, the outcomes, the data, the sustainable supply chains actually work into that. Um, and, and really think about you know how how technology is going to how can you in your individual bit you know use technology to make healthcare more human? What does that actually mean for your operating model? Who do you actually need to partner with? Because Especially for you know the development of new business models and the flex, you, you know, and you know, I think the the biggest hindrance some of these large, um, uh, you know, organisations have at the moment is they're unable to innovate um, because they they make such a good shareholder return as opposed to stakeholder return on their current operating model. Um, you know, trust is a little bit broken in some areas, so you know, but I think that all comes back to Outcomes-based reimbursement, mutual trust, mutual value. Um, you know, so I think, um, you know, one thing I, I might encourage, there's a there's a video, it's a bit more of a film, but it's eight minutes long that um, you know, that that is a companion piece to the report. But that that I think gives it, and, and we we did that because it, it gives um a visualization of the future um and, and brings it more to life whereas report i, I i'm very proud of our report but the, the the companion video brings it to life and i and i think then you know and discuss and share your ideas with others because you know sharing and discussing you know can can fine-tune the direction that you want to go in but but do something that you can easily I always say to people you know if you were sitting around a dinner table with your family Could you articulate what you were actually planning to do and why? Because if you can't do that in a couple of simple sentences, then your operating model, your business is too complicated. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a great, uh, that's great advice in and of itself. But what I'm hearing and would like to repeat to our listeners is if you want to make a go at becoming a consultant pharmacist, go very deep. Don't go uh, shallow and wide, you know, become very defined, become a specialist that your primary care physicians, um, they end up searching you out because you have become the expert in your community. And with 300 um, million uh, people in this country, there is, and only 300,000 active pharmacists, there is more lives to be caring for to go around and build out um, these, these new business models and new roles for pharmacists who are very active. but. Pamela, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor once again to uh, have uh, executive level um, members of your team come on the Pharmacy Podcast and share your insights, share your reporting. And um, we are so thankful.
2: It's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, looking forward to working more closely together with the the Pharmacy Podcast Network. So, you know, thanks for the uh, invite this afternoon. I've, I've very much enjoyed our conversation.
1: Uh, we have as well. You've been listening with Pamela Spence with Ernst & Young's Global Health Sciences and Wellness. She's an industry leader. Uh, We will have reference to this report in the show notes. The title of the report was Five Trends, Redefining the Health Sciences and Wellness Operating Model. And as always, I thank you so much, pharmacists, for what you do for all of our patients out there. A shout out to pharmacy technicians. We uh, love you as well. And we always thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Let's go.